welcome back to another episode of Double Shot Connection. You know the procedure. If you're not following us on Instagram yet, follow us on Instagram at Double Shot Connect. We want to hear from you guys. We want to interact. No one's bantered with us on the DMs yet. So hit us in the DMs. Let us know. It could be anything. How are you feeling? Whatever you want to say. If you want to make fun of us, go ahead. We enjoy. And guys, I also want to mention that Today is a very special episode. It is our 10th episode. So we've been on the podcast. You guys have been hearing our voice for 10 episodes and that means 10 weeks. And I honestly can't believe it. It's been an amazing journey to be on this with AU Marv and with you guys listening out there. So before we start, I honestly and sincerely want to thank everyone who's tuned into our podcast so far, it means a lot and hopefully you guys will still tune in for the next 10 episodes because we're still just as excited to keep recording and producing content. So with that said, we've got another guest on the podcast today. So it's special episode number 10. So Marvin, do you want to introduce our special guest? I do indeed. I've known this handsome young man for a few years now. We've appeared on um, Inner City Hermit and he's from Brisbane. We had Josh Cable, who's from Melbourne. So we thought we'd complete the Eastern States with my favourite city. I'm not a big Eastern City, Eastern States lover, but my favourite city in the Eastern States in Sydney. We've scoured far and wide and we found he left originally from Perth. However, he left because he's sick and tired of being the second best looking um, gentleman in Perth after my housemate Nathan Sloan. He's a dear friend of his and he now is in Sydney. And I think, are you the best looking guy in Sydney by a country mile or is that just Nathan talking more smack? No, I reckon that's probably, I'm, I'm a close second behind Lockie Whitfield. Um, he's a good looking bloke, um, gets around the paddock and you see him around in the Paddington area. So yeah, I'll consider myself second. Oh, mate, you're, you're a selfless man. You're putting, putting people before you. So, guys, our guest today is Christopher Idle. Chris, how does it feel, mate? You're on our 10th ever episode. Oh, mate, it's a privilege. Um, surprised I uh, got the call up, though. Thought you had a, a number of different people uh, on the books that were probably a little bit high up the social status compared to me. Uh, Marvin's always talking about how he's friends with Sonny Bill Williams and stuff like that. So I was expecting to have one of uh, one of those boys on, but look, I'm happy to step up to the challenge. Yeah, Sonny Bill's got a young family, so we've reached out to him. Sonny, if you're listening, we'd love to have you on the podcast. And I got so excited about stitching you up about being the second best looking guy. Completely forgot to introduce you on a name basis. Yes, Chris Idle, lovely man and yeah, man of the people. Yeah, and... Love your attitude, mate. Lo- love it that you're willing to step up to the plate. That- that's what I like to see. So Marv's told me that you've tuned into our episode. So once again, mate, thanks for doing that. So, you know, we love starting off with this question. So let's get into it, Chris. What is your double shot connect moment? I had a bit of a think about this one because you warned me about it. Um, and I know your other guests also... Um, or ask the same question. Uh, I was going to and fro with a couple of different things. Um, but I think all in all, it was 
it's it's not one specific moment. I think it was um, it's more a specific place. So the way I sort of looked at it is that obviously I spent my entire life in Perth pretty much until the age of what was I 20, 24, 25. Um, and then shipped over to Sydney to live with my partner over here. Um, but just looking at Sydney as sort of um, the place where I've done a bit of a full circle. So my aunties lived here for many years. Um, I came here and started my journey with Sydney in 2010 um, when I came on a school trip um, with my school at the time, Scotch College, and um, believe it or not, was at a, a drama um, a drama tour to NIDA. Um, those of you who know me probably think that's a bit odd. I'm not exactly the dramatic type, um, but gave it a crack. And I actually went the year before, met a few nice people. Um, so I thought oh, I go again, went in 2010 and then um, sort of, I think we went with MLC and, and a few other schools, but um, it was a good week. Um, but I actually ended up meeting my partner, Kate, over here. Uh, on that trip, didn't really think much of it. Um, obviously, it was just the first time meeting her and uh, met her at a, a dinner spot out. Oh, where was it? It was North Sydney, I think. We were supposed to be going to a play and they let us go get food and we met everyone there and that was the first time I met her and we made a few connections through people we knew back back home and things like that and got to chatting and kept in contact over the next few years. And then um, two years later, we started becoming a thing and we've ended up back in Sydney as well. Um, and now we're due to get married in about seven months. So I think um, Sydney's played a pretty big part in my life so far. And I didn't think I'd ever end up here, to be honest. I thought I was going to be a Perth boy through and through. And I, I still kind of classify myself as that, but you know, living in Sydney for the last two and a bit years has uh, really um, shaped my journey, both both as an individual and um, as a partner, I hope, of Kate's. And then also professionally as well, um, teaching over here. So, yeah, it's, it, was a, it was a funny one. Uh, there's a few different things in life that you think about, but I think just Sydney as a whole has sort of made me become who I am and obviously there's some thing aspects of it that I like and don't like but it's just weird one of those funny things where you do a full circle and um yeah really embracing it over here and really really loving it now and I think um it all started back in 20 2010 so yeah yeah no that's really cool so you grew up in Perth and moved over to Sydney um What's the transition like? You spent a few years, well, the majority of your life. What do you think are some of the big differences between living in Perth and living in Sydney? Look, the biggest one is the pace. Um, everyone always says you, you come to Sydney and it's it's go, 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 go. And before I moved here, I was like, oh, well, you're kind of in the thick of it when you when you come to visit as a tourist because you, you want to be close to the city, you want to see the Harbour Bridge and, and all that stuff. So... You don't really expect it. Um, but when I moved here, it was a bit of a culture shock. You kind of hit the ground running. And 
Oh, I don't know if it's just because everything's so expensive and everyone's out to get money and, and go places and stuff, but certainly the pace over here is just unreal. So I really enjoy throwing myself into my work and, and stuff like that and keeping myself busy socially and um, physically and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, the whole, the whole go, go, go is, is real over in Sydney. And um, I didn't really think about it until I probably came back in mid July of 2018 when I was coming back to visit the family and I went, Oh wow. So it's a lot slower here in, um, in Perth, which I have no issues with because it makes it so much nicer when you come back home and you get to take a load off and whatnot. But yeah, certainly the culture in terms of um, work is is pretty important to people over in Sydney and and they really get around it and they really throw everything at it. So it just makes everything pretty manic at times. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty good. I do enjoy it. Um, the one thing I think... I haven't, I didn't love it first was the lack of love for AFL. Obviously, that's probably one of my biggest um, passions in life. Just love getting around AFL. Um, happy to watch any any game, really. Um, but there was not really a big culture and there still isn't a massive culture around AFL over here, obviously, being an NRL state. Um, but over time, I've kind of enjoyed that as well with the NRL sort of, I don't know, I watched a game here and there and Marv, you got me into or tried to get me into the Rabbitohs. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's kind of it's kind of nice to have a bit of fresh air and not hear all that AFL talk all the time because it's pretty, it's pretty intense over in, in WA and um, also like Victoria and stuff like that. So, But, yeah, it's definitely the, the pace and the sporting culture over here is just... It's just a lot different, um, but I quite like that they're so different from from places like Perth, um, and I have enjoyed it. It's been good so far. Yeah, that's really good. And firstly, Marv, you didn't get me into South Sydney. I've been a supporter of them before I met you, so just wanted to clarify that. And it's an interesting point that you make, Chris, about, you know, we all live in the same country, Australia, but it's so interesting that there's all these different little differences that you sort of notice and or appreciate between, you know, Perth, Sydney, Victoria. It's an interesting point that you make and just wanted to rewind a bit as well. So you, you said you've made the move to Sydney. Was that uh, a career choice or did you move with your girlfriend? What was the story there? Uh, so Kate got an internship at an advertising company over here, um, in her last year of uni. So I think it was 2016. Um, and that doesn't really happen when it's a paid internship. So she went for this thing. She didn't really think much of it. She was like, Oh, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get it. Um, went for it anyway, ended up getting it. So I'm thin thinking, Oh no. Here we go. This is going to be fun. Um, we've been going out for, well, how many years would it have been? At least five years around then. So she came over here 2016, I think September. Uh, I didn't have a very good time. 
um, when that happened because I couldn't move my degree from the Notre Dame in in Frio to the Notre Dame over here because they didn't offer a bachelor for physical education. Um, So I went, all right, well, I've got a year and a bit left of my degree. I'll, I'll finish that off and then... If you still work in there and loving it, then maybe I'll think about moving over or and give it a crack. But my intentions from the get-go were I'm, I'm not going anywhere near Sydney. I don't want to leave my family. I'm a pretty big family man, pretty close to my brothers and my parents and, and all my mates over there, and I didn't really know anyone but my auntie over here. So I was pretty negative about that to start with. And then it got towards the end of um, my last year of uni, I went for a job at my, I think it was the prac school I was working at for third term. Didn't really get a sniff in, fair enough. Didn't have any experience. So I was like, oh, well, I'll I'll give it a crack and just sort of quickly book tickets and went, I've got to do it and hope for the best. And if it doesn't work out in six months or a year, I'll ship back back to Perth and live with the family and then reassess from there. Um, I didn't really want to do long distance anymore. Um, I did find it pretty hard um, having her over here and I'd visit as much as I could, but obviously it's not super financially stable to be flying to and from the East Coast every weekend. Um, so, yeah, moved over, I think it was early, I think it was around the 16th of Jan, 2018, um, and started trying to find some sort of work. So I did some basketball coaching here and a bit of uh, casual relief teaching there and then finally landed a gig. And from there, I've just, yeah, it's all been looking up pretty much. But, yeah, kind of kind of followed my heart on that one. Um, my, my family, I remember the day I told them I was going to move to Sydney, <laughs> my uh, two brothers were a little bit pissed off, to say the least. They were like, no, you're not. No. Uh, yeah, sorry, guys. Mum mum wasn't thrilled, but I think she understood. And Dad was like, yeah, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> um, but, yeah, the transition was it was worth it, I think. Um, looking back on it, I'd do it again if I had to. Um, I think it was for the best because, you know, got a wedding in January. So I think I did the right thing in the in the long term, I hope. <laughs> yeah that's, that's mate, I, I love hearing stories like that because it's great that you've as you said you followed your heart and and it's worked out really well and you've built up to a point where now you're going to get married and you obviously you had to make some some tough calls along the way that I'm I'm sure weren't easy to make at the time but I guess that's why you know, hindsight's a great thing where now you can look back on your journey and you're like, oh, wow, I'm, I'm sure you're super proud of yourself for making those decisions because it sort of, I guess it's made who you are today, the man you are now, and I'm sure you, you're very excited as to what's going to happen in January in terms of your wedding and things like that. So hats off to you, Chris, and any, any blokes listening out there, follow your heart because... Look, look where he can lead you. This man, Chris, has got a big smile on his face at the moment, so love it. <laughs> you can quote me on that one too if you want. <laughs> would you say that um, 
you know, I don't want to toot my own horn, but, <laughs> but I'm just going to smile his face. Because there was a few times when um, we were in Sydney at the same time. So I think I mentioned in the past, uh, I grew up in Sydney and similar, or not similar to Chris, I find it quite busy and my family moved back when I was quite young, but I visit all the time because I still have a few friends and family that would, would you say my influence uh, showing you a few of the hot spots in Sydney made you, made, made you like Sydney? I mean, you've caught, you've said, you said yes. So tell me a bit more. Don't pump up his tires, Chris, please don't. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you showed me the, the spots of Sydney. I think you, you're pretty good like tour guide of sort of taking me to the Harbour and saying, look, you see that bridge over there? It's pretty famous. Um, you took me to that place. I think I think it's called the Opera House. Um, you took me took me there and showed me around. Um, but no, I think um, yeah, there was a few there was a few instances when I was over and you were over. I think there was a I think it was two while while Kate was here and I'd come to visit. We went to State of Origin one year um, when I hadn't moved here. I remember thinking, oh. I have no idea what is going on in this sport there. They're just throwing this white ball around and they're going to get it over this line. And that was pretty much the extent of my knowledge. Um, you enlightened me on a few more rules than that. But, yeah, I think it helped to have have someone like yourself and, and others that were also willing and, and pretty keen to come over and visit and um, really get around it. And I think it's also helped having you guys visit um, since I've moved. Uh, for example, like last year when uh, you and Nathan Sloan scared the absolute hell out of me rocking up for my engagement party over here. So that was, um, that was pretty overwhelming. Um, safe to say it still felt like a dream after you left. But, no, I think it definitely did help to have a few people with connections over here that gave them a bit of an excuse to sort of ship over and go, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll go visit Chris and I'll, I'll come see the family at the same time and stuff like that. Um, and, yeah, you, you would have played a part in that. And I think also my auntie living here also helped, gives me that little bit of family as well. Um, but, yeah, it, it certainly certainly was a an easier transition because of all that. Yeah, definitely. And also, it, there's a bit of a talk, you, you know, talking about sport, there's a bit of a funny story that occurred in Melbourne in 2018 between you and my friend Nathan Varmer here. Do you want to enlighten us on that a little bit for the listeners? Well, let me set the scene for you. <laughs> 2018, grand final. I'm there with my uh, bandwagoner fan, Andrew Popovic. He jumped ship from the Bombers and decided, yeah, yeah, I'll come to the grand final and go for the Eagles. Who else am I going to go for? Collingwood. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We sit down. We're having a pretty jolly old time. We've just met Bo Waters out in the stands, had a photo with him, wandered in. We're pretty pretty chipper. We sit down and we're just chatting, waiting for the game to start. Black Eyed Peas is absolutely butchering another song. <laughs> Where is the love? Um, Do you remember what song? <laughs> oh, can't remember. But Fergie wasn't there, so it didn't matter. Um, and I look over to my side and I go, "Oh, gee, that guy looks really familiar." And we're sitting in the um, behind the goals with basically all the Eagles fans. Um, there was like two two big sections of Eagles fans and I was sitting on one side and Kate was sitting on the other. 
and we were like, we're bound to see someone from Perth because it's Perth being Perth, you know. You see old mate Jimmy and old mate Jimmy knows your uncle Bob and it just goes around in circles for days. So we sit down, we, I look over and I go, gee, he looks, he looks pretty familiar. I was like, I think that's Varms, but I'm not sure. And I didn't want didn't to yell out and be like, oi, Varms, and then have some strange bloke be like, who's this prick? Um, so... I like waited out. I think I messaged Marvin and I was like, oh, is, is Vaughn's at the, at the footy? And he goes, yeah. And then we both had messaged Marvin, turned around and went, what the hell are you doing here? <laughs> um, so that was pretty surreal. That, that started off a pretty surreal day, I think. Um, then we, we started the game, went down by five goals and then obviously came back and won the thing and the rest is history. But yeah, it was uh, it was, it was very odd. It was such a per thing to happen that we just both wound up sitting in the same row about two metres away from each other and and then could celebrate afterwards together and stuff like that. And then 24 hours later, he's sitting sitting in Sydney down the road from my house watching the, the NRL grand final. So, yeah, it was... Um, it was a good couple of days for him, I bet. <laughs> yeah, it, it was an amazing weekend. And, yeah, I think you and I probably end up Snapchatting Marv at the same time saying, is this so-and-so? And, mate, the only thing that was separating us was the staircase because I was in one of those individual seats. <laughs> Bit of a loner there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, fun fact for everyone listening, I went to the grand final myself. I was oh, screw it, I've got a ticket, might as well go it'll be a great experience and look it actually turned out to be more than what I could ever have wished for like I got to share that moment with yourself Chris and Andrew Popo and shows the character of the man that we're having a chat with at the moment he was very nice enough to invite me back to his mate's place at the afters celebrated the win and had a few beers and it was really nice of yourself to do that I still talk about that to this day it was a very kind gesture for yourself so mate yeah it's just funny how random things like this can just happen and it made it turn my weekend into something that was good to great and something that I can speak about for years to come it was a it was a great time so thanks for having me there and spending those great moments with you it was it was, it was great yeah yeah well yeah, I think um we sung the Eagle Rock song about 60 times that night. <laughs> pants off? Oh, there weren't many pants involved. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah, you talk a lot about AFL and sports. Uh, you, you made mention previously that you're a phys ed teacher as well. Moving over to Sydney um, and, and you're a massive AFL fan, have you found yourself... <laughs> a bit of an AFL community or a sporting community and has that helped you settle into Sydney and, and things like that? Yeah. Well, the first, first year I was here, I didn't, I didn't really know any blokes to sort of hang out with, let alone play sport with. So I was pretty secluded to sort of hanging out with Kate and all her mates, which lovely people. Um, and, still hang out with them to the day. Um, but I was kind of missing that sort of bloke's time, which I had all the time back home because I'm like in a household full of boys. Um, so I really, 
I really missed that part. But I thought in the first year, look, I'll just throw myself into my work and, and really get set up so that I'm all good to go moving forward on that and then kind of worry about myself after that first year, um, which I'll probably do again because it took me a while to get into the swing of things over here. Obviously, uh, different syllabus and curriculum and all that sort of thing compared to, to back home. Um, but then last year, actually, I think it was late 2018. I went, no, you know what? I need to, I need to do some physical activity because I was playing a lot of social basketball back home. I thought I don't really want to get back into basketball. I got a bit sick of it and I wasn't very good. And well, that's a story for most of my sporting career, but, um, I thought, Oh, how about I get into AFL and like, at least if I do that, then I might have someone to watch the footy with outside of Kate who still loves it just as much as me. And um, I asked around and can't remember who it was, but someone suggested UTS bats and they said, Oh, look, if you want to like a good social experience, if you want to get around the boys and that sort of thing, then, then head down to them and have a kick and see how you go. So I hadn't actually played AFL in I think it was something like eight years. Um, I stopped playing as soon as I finished high school because I just lost a bit of passion for it. I think I had a couple of dud coaches that that really rubbed me up the wrong way and sort of I kept getting injured, uh, did my hammy about two, two or three times and it was just getting, it was annoying. I kind of given up and I think when you go on through playing AFL for a long period of time, um, even just at school, like it was just constantly training, training, training and that sort of thing. And I just wanted a break. So um, I didn't really look back after after high school and kind of was happy with it. But, yeah, coming here and having a kick, I think the first first session I went down, I've never blown out so hard in my life. <laughs> um, and it was like late in the season. So it was a pretty cruisy training session in hindsight. But, gee whiz, I was unfit. Um but that kind of set up the stepping stone of getting back into it. I think I did a couple of training sessions, played a couple of games. I literally had one disposal in my first game and it was a handball. And I went, I came home and I said to Kate, I was like, I don't, I don't think I should play anymore. This is so bad. I'm terrible. Um, and she said, no, no, get back into it. You'll be fine. Play one more. And I think it was a bit more, it was better than what I <laughs> what I'd done the week before. But then last year, really got into it, played the full season, um, made some good mates. And the good thing about the bats was that there was people from all over the country that played and all over the all over the entire world, really. So there's some boys from Ireland, there's guys from England, there's guys from America, um, Canada even. Um, and there's people from Brizzy, from... Um, from Victoria and, and also from Perth as well. So it's been quite nice socially and, and physically as well to, to get out there and, and meet these guys and sort of um, get on the deck with them. Um, they are some of my closest mates now and I still see them pretty often. Obviously, it's been a little bit hard with the whole COVID situation. We only just got stuck into training over the last couple of weeks. Um so we've got like smaller numbers and stuff, but yeah, that that has really helped solidify my place in Sydney. I think um, without that, I would have been a bit lost. Um, I'd probably also be a bit fatter. 
Um, but yeah, it's been a been a good couple of years with them. We're hoping to get back into it soon over here as well. That's awesome. Shout out to the, the UTS bats. If they're going to listen to this, <laughs> I'm sure they will. But so in terms of your involvement with community sport and community footy, and I guess you kind of have a bit of an idea of what this podcast is about in terms of promoting open and honest conversations and just having that chat. I'm interested to know what sort of level in terms of, you know, community footy, do you guys speak about mental health or what's sort of the go there? Um, so a couple of, I think it was the year before I rocked in, um, one of the players had battled with mental health for a serious, like a long period of time. And I can't remember what happened there, but it didn't end up well in the end. And, and obviously he felt in the place where he couldn't talk to anyone and stuff like that. So there has been a lot more awareness about it in the last 12 months. Um, now, obviously, it's been a bit hard not being in contact with the club this year. But last year, I remember we had, oh, I was an ex-Sydney player and I just I can't remember his name to save my life. But he, he came out and he was an endorser for Are You OK? and Are You OK Day. Um, and he's talking about how, how important it is to sort of have blokes around you that you're happy to talk to about mental health and, and talk to about how you're feeling and how you're going and things like that. And, um, that, that really like stood out to me. Um, I remember the day that they brought him in listening to them and, um, I kind of thought, well, this is a sort of footy club I want to be a part of. Um, this is sort of like group of people that I want to be a part of because at the end of the day, I, I like to practice what I preach and, um, mental mental health is one of those big things that especially in this day and age takes a hold of a lot of men and a lot of women as well and and really ruins lives um it's something that's been a pretty uh big factor in my life not not for me personally i like obviously we all have our individual struggles but um with some people that are closer to me and and family and, and stuff like that who've needed support and it's been one of those things where I feel like I can sit down and have a conversation with them when they need me to. And um, obviously from time to time, it's a little awkward, but those awkward conversations are good. But yeah, that was, that was something that was a pretty big deal. And I know uh, Damo, the president of UTS, he, he said that at the beginning of this season, he really wanted to get some initiatives going with like Beyond Blue and all those sort of companies to sort of get a bit more awareness um, around it because we do know that that's a pretty strong and, and prominent thing in this day and age and especially young around uh, young men. Uh, I think it's a pretty important message to sort of spread um, to the community and especially those blokes that you're sort of playing footy with um, week in, week out. Actually, um, reminds me of a question that I was going to ask you boys. Um, so obviously ties in with what you guys have just asked me, but how important do you think, um, talking about mental health and wellbeing is, especially for men, especially like younger men, yeah, just yeah. personally. Yeah, I think 
and, and what's very interesting is June 15 to June 21, so last week, was uh, mental health awareness for males. So as it's well quite publicised, there is a high suicide rate am- amongst men as opposed to females. It still happens within females, but within men the suicide rate is uh, something like 70 to 75% higher. And that's generally speaking because men don't usually talk about things. As you just made mention, Chris, a lot of men find it difficult to find like a circle that they trust or people that they can turn to in times of need. And that doesn't have to be the case. So, and as Vaughn's mentioned before, that's something we want to really emphasize and continue to emphasize open, honest conversations. We feel like you have no one to talk to. As Nate says, no one's slid into our DMs. We're here to listen. Um, and there's lots of different initiatives out there, such as Beyond Blue, Lifeline, and if you need anything like that. But, um, yeah, that's a, that's a very, very good question, Chris. I think um, within men uh, of all ages, especially younger men, it's definitely something that is very prevalent as a statistic show, very high um, rates of, you know, not allowing, not speaking about certain things, which can lead to really unfortunate situations and circumstances as you mentioned uh your football teammate um and i'm glad that your footy club and clubs out in australia have initiatives to work with organizations such as are you okay and beyond blue and start those conversations because that's really it is as simple as that sometimes just to start the conversations it can be a lot more um difficult and working in the mental health space i know that again a lot a lot of clients were male um clients and again they find it very difficult to have those conversations but that's yeah that's where it needs to start um we're all pretty good mates here and i know that we've all at times felt a bit down and a bit bit down and out and um as i've made mention i felt i feel flat at times and i've really been able to turn to bombs and yourself so i think it's really important to have that core group of um, people to turn to and have a conversation with. So, yeah. Yeah, and just to put a bit of a personal spin on that as well, I guess we're still in our early to mid-20s, you know, we're still young roosters. (laughs) But even for me, like, just to think of the person that I was, like, two or three years ago, like, probably wasn't that open and honest with chatting about my feelings. And then I guess things happen and then you're like, you start and, and it's not like, you know, I became an open and honest person overnight. It happened progressively over months and now a few years and I've definitely found so much value in it. Like now I know and previously I didn't know this, but now I know it's better to let it out than keep it bottled up. So, yeah, to answer your question, Chris, I, like Marvin said, I, I definitely think it's very important for all males and younger males because I think sometimes, and feel free to add to this, Chris, as well, sometimes we we get certain feelings but sometimes we don't identify what they actually are and then sometimes that's where the struggle may come from as well because we don't know how to deal or process with that feeling and it's not just males as well. Like, it can be females or anyone. Like, you have a feeling and then you don't know what it is or how to deal with it. Yeah, I think it also um, stems from that stigma of that, like having a mental health issue or um, any sort of disease or whatever like that, that it's a it's a bad thing. Um, people always 
worry that it's a weakness that they have, but really, um, obviously I can't speak from too much experience myself. Um, but just seeing people around me and things like that, they, they sort of wear it on their sleeve now and, and really come to terms with it being sort of a part of them and going, look, this is me. So what? Like I'm going to have bad days. Um, we're, we're all going to feel crap some days. There's, there's going to be days where you're just going to want to cry and things like that. So I think, I think it's breaking down those, those walls of especially the stigma behind mental health and, and that sort of thing. And especially in these times where we've had a lot of time to think just on our owns and on our own, sorry, um, <laughs> with, <laughs> with, with isolation, um, I know that that would have taken a big toll on, on some people more than others, especially those who, who were living alone and couldn't really do much. I know that I think it was our photographer down. No, actually, no, maybe it was our flower person who's doing our flowers for our wedding. She, she works down South, Southwest of Perth. Um, and she was living alone and couldn't leave the house pretty much and was finding it really hard. Um, and was pretty courageous enough to sort of post online and say, look, I'm having a really tough time. And then a lot of clients and people online and stuff were sort of reaching out and making sure that she was okay and got through it all and that sort of thing. And sounds like she's all good now. Um, but it was, it was a very weird and an interesting time. And I think, um, there's certainly a lot more conversations on mental health nowadays. Um, that sort of brings to light what it's about and, and how you can deal with it and how it, how it is manageable. Um, this doesn't mean it's going to be a fun time, but not every day is a fun day. And I think um, if there's more and more of this sort of um, man-to-man chat about I'm feeling pretty bad or I'm feeling pretty good today, then it's going to certainly help. Um the stats that we've we constantly see in the media and that sort of thing. Yeah, and I think it's really great because you see, well, not just the AFL, but any big professional sports that, you know, they're definitely promoting uh, open conversations with males. I mean, just segment on the AFL website that have one called The Last Time You Cried and it's basically an AFL footballer opening up and talking about their experience and the last time they cried. And I think, you know, it's been given attention at the top level, but hearing your insights, I'm really pleased and it's great to hear that it's being emphasised within the community as well as opposed to just getting attention at the top. It's filtering down and those messages are, are coming down to the bottom as well, which is really important because, as you said, at the end of the day, you might have your good day, you might have your bad day, but as long as the message is there and to promote, to have that conversation, it's a really great thing. So uh, good on you, mate. And it's good to see that you see the value in it as well and that you're promoting it. It's it's really awesome. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think mentioning a few times about the stigma around it and it's really important to reduce the stigma and normalize it. And yeah, I know you're doing a lot of great work and it's something you're really passionate about. Um, you know, we've had a chat about, as Vaughn's mentioned, in the community, in the AFL community and at community sports. 
you're a teacher, you mentioned that earlier. What does that look like in schools when it comes to mental health? Is that a topic that um, it's in the curriculum or is there much education around it? Are you guys teaching the kids about it and you know, where to find help and all that kind of stuff? Um, yeah, it is in the curriculum. It's a, it's a pretty major point in, in most curriculums, not in, not just in Australia, but I'd imagine across the world. Um, certainly the difference between when we were in high school and in primary school, I don't know about you boys. Um, but for me, it, it wasn't really spoken about. It wasn't something that you sort of sat down and had a chat about. You'd more talk about the sort of the, the stock standard basic health topics of make sure you don't do drugs, make sure you don't drink, make sure you um, like use contraception and then also um, like don't eat bad foods and then do exercise. Like they were the main ones and we still touch on those and, and we still talk about them in depth, but certainly there's more on sort of identity and, and your sense of self and, and sort of moving forward, sort of learning about yourself through high school. Cause obviously kids come into high school nowadays, they're about 12 and, and they, they might not know what they want. Um, and there's all of a sudden this pressure of, Hey, you got to figure out what you want between year seven and year 12 and where you want to end up. So something that sort of ties in with what Nathan Sloan said is that through high school, you kind of, you don't know what you want and, and some people do. So, and that's fantastic. Um, I know he was very motivated in wanting to be a doctor for many years and then turned around and, and didn't quite, didn't quite cut it probably because he was too busy surfing with Patty. But, um, Brushing his hair. So, yeah, yeah, dyeing his hair, I think. Um, we love you, mate. <laughs> but I think um, especially in those early years, like seven, eight, nine, we we kind of really emphasise on sort of how to seek help, how to how to make situations safer, how to how to get the help that you need, how to have those um, good conversations with with your family, with your friends and things like that, making a support network and hopefully it helps. I'd like, I'd like to sit here and say everything I say, um, kids absorb like a sponge and use in real life, but who's to say, um, really, I think certainly there's a lot on it now and a lot more on it now than when I went through school. And I think that's a positive, um, but it's just about targeting them at the right points. And sometimes you'll talk about certain topics and kids go, well, this doesn't really apply to me. And I don't see, like, I don't have any interest in it. For example, things like nutrition in high school, you don't worry about what you eat because realistically metabolism is through the roof. Amazing. And kids will just go, yeah, cool. I know that this is healthy, but it doesn't taste good. I'm going to eat Maccas instead of having a, stick a carrot or something so yeah there is there is a lot more nowadays um and i'm pretty proud of the work that not just i what i do but also what things like you marv and working with people who do struggle past the schooling point um i think all the stuff that's done from start of your life to the end of your life is really important and plays a big part in making sure people are living like long and, and healthy lives, um, lives, lives, 
can't speak. <laughs> no, yeah. But yeah, they're, they're, it's definitely um, plenty, plenty of stuff in place nowadays, um, and it's very well promoted. So hopefully, it's having a good effect on the on the community and the and the students that come through, and even when they're in uni and workplace and stuff later in life as well. Yeah, so it sounds like you're doing amazing work, and you know what's really interesting as well, and kind of caught me off or caught me by surprise. I actually read some statistics out there when it comes to mental health, the prevalent what causes people to die at a younger age. People with mental health illnesses die roughly in Australia about 20 years younger than people without mental health illnesses. And that statistic in itself is quite alarming. And a lot of people think, oh, that's because people with mental health illnesses will, you know, unfortunately do things like suicide, uh, and things like that, which, you know, that it can happen. However, the main actual cause of that is when you have mental ill health, you spend a lot of time isolating yourself from your friends and your family, you spend a lot of time inside and by yourself and you don't make healthy, nutritious choices like you're talking about. Um, and people with those mental health illnesses will develop, are more likely to develop diabetes and get heart attacks. And that's what actually makes them pass away at a younger age so it's you know it doesn't not it's not necessarily these other kind of thoughts so yeah i think it's really important that nutrition and exercise and all that goes hand in hand with um you know teaching the mental health and it's really good to know that that's um part of the curriculum so yeah thanks chris yeah it's interesting you say that because obviously um I know it changes depending on schools and stuff like that, but a big focus is the components of health and, and they all work in, in together with each other, like physical, social, emotional, spiritual um, and cognitive health as well. And that's some of the stuff that we, well, that is the stuff that we teach at, at a schooling level. Um, but I think it applies across the board, not not just at school, but yeah, that's the sort of stuff that um, I'm pretty proud about because you can remember it going forwards you know if if you have that that balance between all five then you're going to make not only wiser decisions and safer decisions but you're also going to live the healthiest life you can possibly live um and and live a physically active life and a, a pretty healthy one as well and speaking of sort of teaching and curriculum and you know, sending a me- as you said before, sending a message to the kids. I'm interested to know in terms of, you know, you, you see these kids pass through and things like that. Does is it an active thought that you know you're you're teaching the younger generation like the actual impact you, that you have on their lives? Like, does that come across your mind, or because you're in such you know teacher mode that you want to get your lesson out that you sort of tend to forget that sometimes? Look, I think for me personally, I got into teaching um, because I like to get somebody from point A to point B. So it, it's probably something that I don't think about as much as I should because it's the sort of thing, it's the reason that you teach, or at least mine. Um, obviously, there'd be some teachers that might, might not be in it for that reason, but certainly me personally, I, I'm really in it for the getting someone from point A to point B and whether it's kicking a footy on the oval or, or being able to understand the components of health or understand what, what's healthy and not healthy. 
um, in nutrition. Um, obviously I've only been teaching for a few years, so it hasn't, I don't think it's quite hit me yet. I think when it gets to the point where the year 12s are graduating and I've seen them move from maybe like year seven or eight through, um, that will be the point where I kind of think about it a little bit more. Um, because then you, you're kind of seeing them on their way out. But at the moment, the, the students that are leaving, I didn't have too much to do with. Um, I do know them and I would have had conversations with them or coach their basketball team or whatever, but, um, not, not as much to do with it, but yeah, certainly the teaching aspect for me, I'm, I'm not in it just for the content. If you're in it for the content, awesome. You must love your content, which I do, but, um, you're in it for those like social conversations with the kids and sort of getting them to learn and sort of grow as human beings, not just in academics, but also socially as well. And a lot of them obviously adolescence is a pretty, pretty hectic time. And I'm sure we've all had our, our moments. Um, but if you can kind of help them along that journey, they'll probably be sweet for the rest of their life and they'll, they'll certainly remember it. I know that I have teachers that I still remember and I think, oh, I, I kind of hope that I'm doing what he did when I was in high school and things like that. Um, and they're the sort of people that kind of sit with you. I know that there's there's two teachers for me that had a massive influence, both one in primary school and one in, in high school. I think primary school was Mr. Yates. It was my year, I think it was year five teacher. And he was, he was mad. He, I, I can't express what he did. He just had so much time for everyone. Um, and it kind of, as someone that wasn't, wasn't the best student in the world and my mum worked at the school. So it was kind of just mum being on my back all the time. But I remember he kind of, he would always make time for you if you had issues and he'd always make sure that you're, you're doing your best and things like that. But he was also very good at being, being strict when he needed to and also having a laugh with everyone, which I just love that balance. And that's what I try to take into my teaching. Um, and to this day, I always, we constantly bump into him whenever I'm back in Perth. I think last year I ran into him and it was probably one of the first times that I actually looked at him eye to eye because he was always a giant. Um, and I saw him in an Eagles game at Optus stadium and I was like, Oh, you're actually not that tall anymore. <laughs> um, so it had been a few years since I'd seen him, but yeah, he was one. And then in high school, I had a, a PE teacher, Mr. C. I can't, I do not know his full last name because it was too hard to pronounce. So they just called him Mr. C, but he was pretty similar. He had all the time in the world for, for the boys there at Scotch and whether it was talking footy, if it was telling you how to do something, um, yeah, he'd really take you under under his wing and sort of get you over the line. Um, and that really kind of resonated with me and it, it's something that I try and take into my teaching on a daily basis um, and hopefully, it, hopefully, you never know, but hopefully it's helping people and hopefully that can be the same for other students and kids moving forward. That actually leads to a question I got for you guys. Um, Perfect, love it. <laughs> what's uh what's your most memorable teacher from your childhood and why? Can be high school or primary school. Ooh. I know there's always one. 
tough question here, Chris. And I like the fact that you did ask us a tough question because that that's going to have to make me think here. So I would say, let me think. I guess primary school you do have you do have memorable teachers and things like that. But I, I think I'm going to go with high school because they are they are your formative years and it sort of shapes who you are as a person and ultimately you know you you kind of are sort of transitioning into becoming a young adult and into uni and things like that so I would say uh the teacher and I'm I'm trying to think of their name I'd, <laughs> I'm actually gonna I'm, I have to rewind about 10 years ago because that's when crazy to think that's when we all graduated high school we're, we're getting we're getting old in the old numbers here but still young up here so that's the main thing I would have to say the well I guess year 12 coordinator but I mean he was my coordinator all the way up so from starting from year eight all the way up into high school so he was the year coordinator from years eight to 12 he started with us when when we were year eight and he finished with us in year 12 and his uh, name was Mr. Hollyoak and I don't know if he'll be listening to this but I think shout him out anyway sh- shout him out sure he will be mate <laughs> we're an all-inclusive podcast so we shout out everyone and so yeah the reason why he had a big impact on my life and I'm sure he had a big impact on other people's lives is because I, and I think you don't, I don't think you sort of realise the value until I'm actually thinking about it now and looking back is that he was just always there for everyone and I think that's something that you really appreciate. You know, there was probably what, I don't know how many, probably 300 kids in our year. Like that's a lot of kids to oversee, you know, and the fact that he would know you on a name basis, he would know you on, you know, what your interests are and what you get up to. I think as a kid just being given that little bit of attention, I think really helped and having that guidance as well, you know, you don't know what you want to do, as you said, going through high school and where you want to be. So having that guidance, looking back on it now, like really stuck out for me. So that would be my teacher. What about yourself, Miles? Yeah, um, I've had a good long think as well, so that's why three of them. Took one for the team. I think I'll go high school as well. I mean, I had a few good ones in primary school. I had a really scary Irish year seven teacher called Mrs. Hickey. Yeah. Mrs. Hickey, who scared the absolute crap out of me. So I think that did me wonders leading into high school because year seven back in our day was still primary school. Um, and my one would be, I didn't actually have him as a teacher so much throughout. He was a science teacher. His name was Mr. Coglin and he was my form teacher. So like homeroom form Um had the pleasure of being in the same form room as Sloane. I think we were destined to <laughs> be together. Um, and Mr. That's dangerous. Yeah, it is. Uh, he made a real impact on my life. He, yeah, he was there on day one, and I still remember that. You know, we I went to a high school that was right by the coast, so we had like four different factions, and they were the beaches nearby. So it was Brighton, Floriot, City Beach, and Trig, and I was in Floriot two, eight year eight Floriot two, and I remember he took us you know, as a group and I went to a high school where I knew no one because I went to a primary school ages away. And yeah, I just remember him, 
yeah, always being there. And I was really scared. I didn't know anyone. Sloane took me under his wing. But teacher-wise, year three, year eight, nine, ten. And then I think I finally had Mr. Coughlin in year 11 for chemistry or something like that. And, yeah, he just always was there to listen, guide you along, and he would have a laugh with you. I think very similar teaching technique to you, Crydle. He lasted in the teaching game for close to 40 years. <laughs> so we'll see. <laughs> Thank you for that number. And yeah, he was very, very kind, very caring. And you had questions, you can go and ask him. But at the same time, you're mucking around or being a bit cheeky as you can be as a teenager. He'd call you out on it. And I think um, I actually bumped into him a couple of years ago at the uh, Wembley Food Court, which is where my cousin has a... <laughs> oh, plug, yeah, plug, plug your cousin's restaurant. Plug the Malaysian forecard. <laughs> the food court's closed right now because of COVID-19, but it's about to reopen. <laughs> Go get yourself a chicken chicken rice. <laughs> Lovely feed. Barnes and I have had it on many a time. Um, and I saw him there and, you know, I said hi to him and he, he goes, oh, he was, he's like, oh, what's, <laughs> I forgot my name. <laughs> it begins with an <laughs> Don't, don't tell me what it is. I was like, uh, and then he goes, Marvin. And I was like, he's like, what are you up to? And I told him what I was doing and I was, you know, working in mental health. And he just said, oh, good on you, Marv. You've really come a long way from this little skinny, good looking. <laughs> no, he didn't say good looking. <laughs> skinny <laughs> little boy. Skinny, I don't know about that. <laughs> um, yeah, skinny little boy. And yeah, so yeah, just hearing that and what an influence and I'm sure being in the, in the teaching industry for 40 years made a real positive impact to a lot of people. So yeah, that would be my, my um, impactful teacher. So yeah. And on the subject of teachers, Chris, I guess you sort of, I guess we all have lifted, listed qualities of teachers that we like and stuff. For you personally, is there a type of teacher that you want to be or is it more so you'd rather just, be a good person and let it sort of take its course? Um, look, it's hard to say because when you're teaching constantly, and I think I have been, even when I hadn't fully finished teaching, I was still doing casual work and stuff. It's kind of second nature. So it is kind of like almost a part of you in a way. And, and realistically, everyone is going to be a teacher at some point in their life, whether it's teaching their kids something or teaching someone at work how to do something. Everyone does it. Some people are just better at doing it than others. Um, and some people, it just comes naturally to them. Um, certainly I didn't realize it until a little bit later on. And then mum and Kate pulled me aside and said, all right, pull your head in, go to university and do PE teaching and you'll love it which I did. Um, but in terms of, I, I'm not too sure. I, I don't really walk into a lesson or walk into a day and say, I'm going to be the best bloke out because you don't want to, you don't want to go in with the mentality of I'm there to be their friends. Cause it doesn't really, it won't work. You need to build those like respectful professional relationships with, with the students so that one, they'll still respect you and feel they can talk to you, but also, they know not to take like too much of a step out of line here and there. Um, and I think that the two teachers that I was referring to before were really good at that. And, um, and like after seeing them after I'd finished, you can still see that they're the same person. You just know that you could probably toe the line a little bit more now that you finished and you're not under, um, you're not their student anymore. Um, so certainly I, 
I, I try to build those relationships with students so they feel like they can come chat to me and whatnot, but also at the same time, um, always, always keen to have a laugh, um, always happy to have a joke. And certainly the kids as of late have been telling me how bad the Eagles are and it's certainly shown over the last few days. It's been a little bit depressing, but yeah, I don't know if there's anything I can really pinpoint on it other than that really. Yeah, well, it sounds good that you're educating them on the AFL. It's very important. It's, it's a civic duty as a West Australian, especially when you go over to Sydney. And I guess, you know, we've talked about and covered most topics today with you, Chris, from AFL and teaching. And, yeah, it's been a really, really good conversation. And just before we wrap everything up, I know I'll um, call you out a bit on this one. You didn't mention it and I thought you would. Yeah. Is it true or not that you were voted by your kids recently to have the best looking hair <laughs> at the school as a teacher? Oh, my God. Um, supposedly from the year 12 group, yeah, but I don't, I I don't like to brag about it. I'm pretty sure you're the only person I told outside of Kate. <laughs> yeah, he called me straight away on Friday afternoon. <laughs> And he's like, oh, mum, mum. So, yeah, well, um, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. Well, dear friend of mine, and it goes, I think we met at an Eagles game a while ago and then we shared some good moments, Black and Yellow by Wiz Khalifa, that strengthened our relationship. <laughs> and, yeah, you're an absolute top bloke and it's been a privilege to have you on and I, can't, I really honestly cannot wait for everyone to hear about your story and everything you've been through because, yeah, you're just amazing in the day. Yeah, appreciate it, guys. Um, yeah, if there's one thing I'd like to say, just to finish it off, it's um, Shahul, you need to do some yoga, mate. <laughs> and we hope you're listening, Shahul. Yeah. <laughs> it better be. We, we actually quickly had a look. I know we say this all the time that we're going to wrap up and then we have another five conversations. I had a quick look. Um, I don't do it very often. I'm a very humble man. On the statistics of the Double Shot Connect podcast, and roughly 30% of our listeners are from New South Wales. So hopefully after you've jumped on, we'll hopefully it can increase a little bit. I don't know if you're listening to it 10 times or um, <laughs> other people are listening to it, but thank, thank you. Yeah, and I just want to personally thank you as well, Chris, for coming on. I think you need to give Marvin some hair tips on how to improve his hairstyle. <laughs> and, and, and I know you, you enjoy the podcast, Dylan Friends. So, mate, hopefully this just provides you a platform. You, you go from Double Shot Connection and hopefully we hear, you on, we hear you on Dylan Friends on your next podcast appearance, mate. But, yeah, honestly, thanks so much for taking the time to come on and to have a chat with us. Much appreciated. And I just want to say again, Mark, this is our 10th episode special. How do you feel about doing 10 episodes? I feel absolutely amazing. I'm sorry that I forgot to get the party poppers from IGA. <laughs> We've got a pop song to introduce Cridal and um, but maybe on the 11th episode we'll sort some out. If IGA, you're listening and want to sponsor us, <laughs> still sponsor us, give us a, give us a, give us a call. Mate, <laughs> what the barrel are you going to to get IGA as a sponsor <laughs> for this podcast? <laughs> we need somebody. <laughs> we need somebody. I might call my mum and say, if she wants to throw a few dollars in. For a- you just want some free chalk chills from down the road. <laughs> But there you have it, guys. Tenth episode from Double Shot Connection. We are actually going to sign out now. So thank you so much for listening and 
We'll see you on the 11th episode. Thank you.